Welcome to the Different People Podcast, where we explore inclusion, diversity, and belonging in conversations about the often untold experiences of different people. These conversations are candid, spontaneous, and can sometimes be difficult. Yet they are necessary and critical to the healthy functioning of communities, organizations, and society as a whole. My name is Lisa Schmidt. I'm a leadership coach, a senior consultant in organizational development, and a professional speaker. And my name is Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. I'm a clinical and consulting psychologist, an expert in diversity and inclusion, executive coach, and a professional speaker as well. And we are your hosts. Lisa, we've been getting a lot of very interesting feedback uh, about our podcast. And I also think it's interesting that a lot of the feedback that I've been getting from many of the leaders that I know and work with who come from a broad range of different backgrounds and expertise and industries, but who are people of color, people are really enjoying the podcast. But the common feedback that I'm getting is that people are excited to hear this, but it's also making them angry because they're recognizing how much they let pass and how much they tend to tolerate and put up with. And I just thought that was a really interesting, consistent bit of feedback. Well, it makes sense to me that anger would be coming up because I think the more that we, the broad collective, talk about these issues, but also you and I and people listen to us talking about them, shows just how little they've been talked about before. And mm-hmm. we're talking about, I mean, the last episode we did, we talked about the the courage you need to be vulnerable to have these conversations. But once you're having them, all kinds of things get stirred up. And anger clearly makes a lot of sense that, the, you know, we're in a, in a society, we're in organizational systems, we're in schools, maybe even in our family systems where these hierarchies of privilege based on how close you are to the ideal and you know or how far away from the ideal means that everything that you do has this added piece of you having to navigate based on the virtue of the color of your skin mm-hmm. or the community that you come from and you know i think the response a lot of the time to anger when again i'm speaking as a as a white woman is it's very easy in response to anger to slip into defensiveness as opposed to listening to the, re, the listening to the anger and the rationale for the anger yeah that's a really good point is that people get quite defensive because i've also uh, been speaking with a lot of white friends And there is very much a defensiveness because people will hear the passion and they'll hear the tones of anger and the responses generally go, I didn't do anything. And I don't understand why you're so upset is what a lot of people might say to people who are experiencing those feelings. But so let's talk about why people might feel that way. And I think, you know, you heard me say that these are people who are leaders in different uh, expertise and different industries. And so people would say, well, there you go we've solved the problem. We've got leaders who are people of color and these different things. But part of what frustrates people is what they had to do to get there, what they had to sacrifice of who they were and their identities. And I want to talk a little bit more about that down the road. The fact that they're the only person 
of color in their networks. And the fact that they continuously face and have to tolerate systemic racism. And it comes up in ways that are these subtle, but very powerful things that disenfranchise and marginalize people of color. Now, if you are not a person of color, if you are not a part of a marginalized group, you wouldn't notice that. And if you don't notice that, it's because you have a privilege of not having to live with uh, that difficulty. The example I want to talk about, I said I'll come back to it, and I want to come back to it now, is um, I'm working on a project with Ian McCausland here in Manitoba, who's a well-known photographer, fantastic guy. And this project required people to come in and have photographs taken in clothing that reflected their their original cultural garb. And uh, the comments that people had, I mean, they came in, people obliged. And the comments that people had to say were really fascinating. There was a lot of tension. One person came in and said, this is not me. Like all these people had to go search for these bits of clothing, right? Because it wasn't. And these are all people of color? People they're from all people of racialized? color. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And they all had to go search for these pieces of clothing because they put them away. And that was the first thing that a lot of people said is like, I had to go looking for this stuff because it was so put away. And I think that's reflective. I think it's symbolic of what they've had to put away themselves. I mean, they will talk about how their identity is cultural, but what they've had to put away. And they'll say things like, this wasn't me. This is not me, but it is you. It's what helped form you. And yet you put that piece of you away. And the question is, why did those people put those pieces of clothing away? And their responses, they said, when they put on the clothing, they felt like they were eight years old again. And they were being mocked and made fun of for wearing that clothing. One woman talked about shame of food, food shame, and how she ate corned beef sandwiches as a kid for uh, three years uh, because her ethnic food, the food her mother made her, was smelly. We still carry that with us. And she talks about how she overcame that was just specifically bringing back the food that was quote unquote smelly and just eating it on a regular basis. And it, it was striking for her. And so what we do is we pack these pieces away. And the reason we pack these pieces away of ourselves is because they're not welcome, because they're often punished. They're met with ridicule. And sometimes the comments are snide. Uh, sometimes they are sly. And sometimes they're well-meaning, but people don't understand it. I remember presenting to a group of lawyers. And one of the lawyers uh, was Indo-Canadian and arrived in his adult life and had his boss over for dinner. And the boss said, why doesn't it stink like curry in here? Doesn't it normally stink like curry in here? And he was like, you know, he's like, he didn't see it, but he said, my daughter was furious. So his daughter caught it, but he didn't. And it again, goes to show what we allow ourselves to tolerate just to be able to remain professional, to be able to get ahead. And when people start to unpack those things and when, you know, things happen, like protests, like the murder of uh, black people or injustices or mosque shootings or anything of that kind, it reminds us of what we had to put away. Yeah, and I think as you're talking about costumes and the putting away of them, here's something that stands in stark contrast to that 
is when I was growing up, people dress for Halloween, right? It's uh, you go door to door as a kid. I think Halloween still happens. And um, most of the costumes I remember people choosing to wear were of, let's say, like the Mexican sombrero or a sari or but if I were to wear jeans and a t-shirt and people would say well how come you didn't dress up for Halloween it would be well no I am I'm, I'm dressed up as a white western woman like I'm wearing a costume too but we don't think of these things as costumes because they're so normalized and and we we take we we almost character characterize you know make a character of different ethnicities and different cultures and we we kind of minimize them and you know i think this is prevalent i would i I wouldn't say the world over but what i mean is like in the western world we we almost trivialize like when people wear go to concerts music concerts and they wear traditional indigenous uh, head dresses, headgear that are very symbolic and people earn in indigenous communities. And yet they're seen as this funky, interesting thing that looks cool. And there's kind of an erasing, like you talk about people putting their stuff away in the closet and it's gone and hidden. But we also, in the in the using costumes as a sort of funny thing to take on an identity, uh, we also diminish the profound meaning of why those pieces of clothing or things that you adore your body with. And we take away the power that communities have instilled in them through generations. Yeah, absolutely. But but also, I think just normalizing a different way of thinking. And uh, one of the things I say to organizations when I consult to them is, if you want a neurodiversity if you want cognitive diversity in the way that people think and if you want, and that's the research shows that's what leads to success is the opportunity to have different ideas and different perspectives. But how are you going to get that when you're not promoting a sense of inclusion? Because people aren't being rewarded for the differences. They're actually being punished for them. And we might not realize it, but that's exactly what happens. And I, I speak often about the celebration of cultural holidays. We're not rewarding people for, we're not even allowing people. We punish people. Well, you can take that off, but you got to make up another time or you take a paid day off. You know, like we're not integrating culture into society. We're actually excluding it. We don't live in a multicultural society. We live in a unicultural society uh, here in the United States and Canada. We might have a multi-ethnic society but we don't have a multicultural one. And that's, I think, what promotes a lot of the separation between people. And it's why people put things away. And naturally, these are the things like, um, I had to take a photograph for this project as well. And it was of me in a kanzu and a Zanzibari hat. I don't wear that clothing a lot. Uh, I wear it sometimes on special occasions, but but it is a part of who I am. It's a very critical part that determined my identity my thinking, uh, and my contribution to the world. And yet, if I were to wear that out on a regular average day, I'd be getting a lot of looks because we can't tolerate what's different. I get comments. People might not see if I showed up, you know, doing a professional talk in that people might see me as less professional. And so these are just very obvious examples, but there's all these subtleties where where 
where we're, where our identities are chipped away at. And people of color, cultural minorities, religious and ethnic minorities, they tolerate more and more and more of that. And we just get used to it. And the interesting thing is we don't recognize that we're getting used to it. And when people finally have cause to take a look at themselves and see what aspects of themselves have been chipped away at, well, naturally, the response is going to be anger. Now, if you're an organization or a leader and your response to that is, settle down, let's just look forward, that's not going to trigger a calm understanding. That's going to trigger more anger. And so in order for us to be able to resolve this issue, we need to first acknowledge what's happening in the world. We need to, we need to acknowledge that we've chipped away at ethnic and cultural and identities and we don't allow them to exist. Um, names of people are now all westernized, so to speak. They come from a Eurocentric background. People don't name their children you know, a broad range of the cultural names that have meaning because they don't want them to be punished. If they do pick an ethnic name or a name that comes from a cultural background, they pick one that sounds simpler, just so it's easy for white people to pronounce so that child is not made fun of. It's striking what people of color tolerate. And so people might think, I'm sorry, I'm going on a diatribe here, but people might think that we don't have burning crosses on people's lawns. And well, we do have murder of black people by people who carry bias clearly. But so we could argue whether that really is as bad as it is, but point being is that still exists. And it, we don't need to have something that severe to kind of marginalize or enslave a people. What we do need to do is get inside their head and reward them with money. It's like, you can get a job if you have an English sounding name if you don't show up to work in a sari, if you look less quote unquote urban, let's erase all elements of your identity and we'll reward you with money. And then you will shut up and take it. So I know right now you don't sound, you don't sound angry, but I know you're angry. Mm. Yeah. Do I don't sound angry? Jeez. Um, well, you're, you're, you sound I mean, you, you, you sound measured, right? I think, I, am measured, I mean, yeah. this is, this is, I think one of the things like this is, this is in the moment and I do it too. I'm going to act professionally and sound professional because anything I do that takes me away from this idea of what it means to be professional is risky. Yeah. And it is risky. yeah, it is risky. Very and the risky. other thing, yeah. And the other thing with anger is it is, I think, so quickly dismissed by people who don't want to look at the reasons why there is legitimate anger. I mean, when I see this whole thing happen where the response for some people to Black Lives Matter is all lives matter. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an unbelievable simplification and I think an invisibilization and, and it, it contributes it just goes to show the problems that we have when we talk about race, because if we can't even say like the example I've heard, like you don't hear during black lives matter, um, you know, LGBTQ people say, wait, 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 but you know, gay lives matter. Like for, you know, like people aren't like people like, no, like (laughs) we get it. We get that what it's like 
to be outside of the norm. We don't need to be in some fancy spotlight protecting that our lives matter or everybody's lives matter. We actually see that there's the places on fire and we need yeah. to respond appropriately. And I think anger is legitimate. And as I'm talking about it, like I'm feeling angry at the dismissiveness. It's like, this will blow over. Right. It just happened. Like it's this idea again, like with COVID or with climate change or what, like when people say, oh, you know, I just want it to go back to normal. Well, normal is what polluted the planet. Normal is what caused systemic racism. Normal is there's like there's normal is not healthy. Normal is not a good place to, to go to. Like we can't go back to normal. I don't think normal is a place that I want to go back to because of all the things that we do, whether it's in regards well, to how we treat people by, you know, by their differences or, uh, you know, the way we just throw garbage all over the place. Yeah. Well, for me, normal is complacency. And when we're complacent, complacent is, can be tied to white privilege, can be tied to any privilege for that matter. When we don't question things and we just simply go along with our lives without questioning, we don't tend to recognize the problems that are there. Now, in response to the Black Lives Matter, there's organizations all over that are now jumping at a chance to, you know, make sure that black people are now in the spotlight, you know, that they're pulling up their socks, but without actually making a meaningful change. And that's the dilemma is when we work on simply addressing a veneer, uh, you know, when we make issues of inclusion tied to just you know, boxes we need to tick off to say, you know, we've met a hiring quota, we look what we've done, then the systems actually maintain themselves because that's in some ways a sense of complacency. And for me, complacency is about not being psychologically mindful to the thoughts and the emotions that perpetuate these problems. And one of the reasons why I sound measured, people of color sound measured that they tolerate a lot of this stuff is because they're not given the room to explain why they might feel angry. At best, you're given a short sound bite on the news. Uh, you got to quickly rush through the thing. And these things are so complex and so layered, you can't get through it in a short sound bite. And so in order for us to be able to address these problems, what we need to be able to do is create space for conversations. And it might sound, you know, flighty. But frankly, the conversations that we have change our understanding. And when our understanding shifts, so does our emotions. And when those two are aligned, we can create some very powerful and consistent behavioral changes. And then we don't need to all of a sudden, you know, have that quota because we're holding ourselves accountable, right? That it's no longer the quota. Although in the process, we might need that quota, but Alongside that, we need this sense of mindfulness about why it is that we do what we do. Why is it that we have anger? Why is it that we have a sense of defensiveness? What's leading to that? And if we can be psychologically mindful, and to me, this is ultimately the heart of any good coaching, is this sense of mindfulness about what produces those emotions in us and in other people. And not just being mindful of those feelings in ourselves, but what might be being triggered in other people. Because then then we have this shift. Freud said, insight is the cure. And the reason for that is because now behavioral changes can be made upon that. And we can't get insight without conversation. We just can't. 
Well, here's the, the challenge that I see in people and organizations. Let's talk about organizations and leaders who understand that something needs to change, that you know, there's no going back to normal or the status quo. And yet the desire is for the quick fixes, right? The things that we can count. So we can count how many people that we recruit from diverse communities. We can have everybody go through diversity or unconscious bias training. You know, we can make broad statements about the values. I mean, I can't tell you how many organizations I've worked in or for or consulted with that have a value of inclusion. And uh, it's a word. It is not lived. It's like a proxy for actual behavior change. And mm -hmm. what I find deeply frustrating, uh, and I see this in the media right now, is there's an understanding that maybe uh, black uh, stories or people of color, indigenous stories need to be covered more. And so there's more storytelling or there's more interviewing or there's more engaging with communities of color, but the organizations themselves, the media organizations, they are not changing. No, and I also want to think about, when we think about organizations, I want to think broader than that. I would say a city, a country can be an organization. If you think about, for example, the fact that the people who had murdered Breonna Taylor are still not arrested, you know, and the mayor is being forced or pushed to be able to make some changes. I mean, there's a leader there. There's an organization right there. And the organizational structure and the leaders in place are not being able to make certain changes. That's going to lead to a problem and a lot of unrest. Now, that can happen in a city. That can happen in a small or a large organization. But we just don't realize it. And so what happens is people get up and leave or they stay and they get frustrated and they don't do a good job. And in cities, we just have unrest. And I think we are, I think we're, I think we're in for trouble as a society macro or micro organizations within that if we don't pay attention to what's happening because what's bubbling under the surface is a lot of this anger and the way to diffuse it is to be able to be heard is justice is not just in a hiring policy justice is in being acknowledged for what has happened and what we need to do to balance things out to provide a sense of equity and those changes need to happen very quickly. And I don't think people get that. I don't think leaders get that. I don't think white leaders get that. I don't think people of color get that because there's a lot of people of color who will tell you to just be quiet and tolerate things. And there's a great fear. So in addition to anger, there is also fear. I love my mother a great deal, but and she's a fan of this podcast now. But just before I got on, she said to me, be careful what you say on the podcast, dear because it's public. Yeah, and I'd like to, I just wanna kind of circle back to this idea you were talking about being mindful and that conversation is really where we grow and where we learn. And how do we stay in conversation? Like when you, when we talk, you know, again, I'm double, I'm double looping, circling back to being able to tolerate the feelings that come up in yourself while somebody is expressing legitimate anger and noticing how much you want to argue or say, yeah, but, or, you know, like the, the, the one I've heard commonly is when people talk about um, police violence 
against black people as a, well, what about black on black crime? Like as if that completely erases, like to, to notice the urge that people have to try and find a story to delegitimize like legitimate social issues, issues of justice and equity that are are truly like they're immensely painful. I mean, I one of the things that I, I found so profound uh, after the death or the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Aubrey was, and this didn't it didn't occur to me, which is awful, but I, I just felt anger. I didn't feel grieving immediately. I just thought this is wrong, and yet when I took the time to just take a step back. I also just felt this immense crush of sadness. Mm-hmm. And some of it is in relation to the actual, like you see these grieving families, these grieving communities, but I'm sad that we've collectively, and you, you talk about, you know, we, we sort of comply or we, like we've allowed ourselves to become unseeing to other people's pain and other people's experiences. And that to me makes me very sad. It also makes me very angry. I'm, I'm angry that we, we tolerate in one another in our society, a willful looking away. Well, that speaks to the problem of, a, of systemic racism because I see the resolution of these problems tied to the development of good relationships. And if we think about us wanting to build a good relationship, a good professional one, a good personal one, those relationships are not tied to minimizing other people's concerns. We know if we if somebody were to come with us a concern not tied to racism and say, look, I'm having this issue, and say, well, you shouldn't have done this, or well, why don't you fix your own stuff before you come and talk to me? We all know that those are really poor ways to respond to any person if we're trying to build a relationship, even if it was just an issue of diplomacy. And yet we do that with people of color. So why is it all of a sudden that we can be mindful about how to have good relations? Most of us have, most of us, some of us less so, most of us have good understandings. We have a good public health knowledge about what's good for relationships, right? We talk about that. And yet we can't apply that to this setting why is it? Why is it we can't do that? And I think, I think we're just so afraid. And yet, even when that, within our personal relationships, when we're afraid, we, we simply own it and we say, look, ah, if we were to address a problem in our relationship, we should say, I'm afraid. I, I don't want to talk about this because it makes me feel like this. So I think the takeaway here is that we need to work on our relationships with each other take the good healthy skills that we would apply to dealing with our friends, our coworkers, our significant others and apply them in trying to understand the experiences and the emotions of people who we see as different from us. Those are good skills to have. Justice is not just about justice is about being heard and being acknowledged. You want to diffuse anger, let somebody be heard. Give them space and then work on the resolution. If you keep, if your behavior and your actions directly or indirectly keep shutting people up, like, okay, we've hired them. Can we just be quiet now? Can we just move forward? You're not going to diffuse anger. You're going to increase it. 
And the reason for you doing that is probably because of a sense of privilege. You don't recognize that you carry. You don't understand the experiences of other people. Right. I will say this, uh, at least I you forgive me. I will say this too. We need room for error. So this is not just, you know, white people listening to this might say, geez, this sounds horribly threatening. No, like we need room for error. Like if you're going to acknowledge an error, that doesn't mean people need to crush you for it. And I think that's a big fear that people have. So if I admit error, then I'm going to be crushed. But in order for us to build a culture of learning and change, we must leave room for error. So if people admit error, great. Let's provide an opportunity for learning instead of crushing them. And there's so much anger and there's no room to have it diffused that I think people have a mob mentality there are white people who will sometimes admit to having bias. And so I think we need to create an environment of safety and understanding um, that goes both ways if we're going to work on resolving this problem. Well, there's, a, I think, a cultural bias around anger. Like, it seems like the only people who are allowed to legitimately get angry and not be dismissed are white men. <laughs> yep. And everyone else, of course, I'm making a huge generalization here. You know, for women, anger is unbecoming. You know, I mean, black women will talk about, you know, there are things that happen that are unbelievably unjust. It could be in line at the grocery store, being asked to have to show ID, you know, just for buying, you know, <laughs> milk and diapers. But if they say anything, then they, you know, like they, they say, I'll, I'll be the angry black woman. Then they're going to call the store security over. And what I, what I find interesting about, you know, we talking about anger, I mean, talking about anger is actually not easy to do no, because we associate, at least I do, uh, that there's a very short space between anger and violence. And I think we, we need to legitimize anger. Like there are things that happen in our lives or to our communities, our friends, you know, the people who we interact with that are wrong. They're morally wrong they're indefensible yeah. and they to me the most appropriate response is anger now it's not just a pell-mell you know cursing you know like to me anger is actually the, a root of change like well, what we do with anger legitimately anger. angry about something if you don't if you're not angry you don't care what are you going to do about mm -hmm. it but if you're angry but i, I just want to add to that the ability, and I said this a moment ago, the ability to just listen and sit with somebody else being angry and mm -hmm. to not feel that you need to fix it, mm -hmm. that you need to calm them down, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm talking obviously about, you know, in the context of, of differences between people. And I think that's a skill. I mean, it's a, we need to learn how to be with each other's really strong feelings that are entirely legitimate. Because I think mm -hmm. when you talk about, you, you start shutting yourself down because you know somebody else is going to shut you down. So now you're just going to do it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we also, when you say about making space, there needs to be an acceptance. And I wouldn't even call it an invitation because that, I think, invites a power dynamic. But there, you're right. There needs to be space. Mm -hmm. for the legitimate expression of feelings that arise when deeply unjust and painful and discriminatory and oppressive and racist things are said and done. 
Right. And, and you said it before, anger does not necessarily equate violence. Unfortunately, it tends to get tied together with people of color. Once people of color, uh, including some religious minorities like Muslims, if you're angry, all of a sudden you're violent. And that's not necessarily the case. Anger can be a very motivating force. That's important to understand. I also just want to clarify, There's, I'm thinking about all the white guy friends that I have who are going to listen to that comment about white guys being allowed to be angry. I want people to understand if you're hearing this and feeling personally attacked, it's not about you. Like this is not about you being a bad person. This is about what we allow in society, our impressions of what we think is normal, you know, in the same way that we uh, allow men in general to have more aggression and say, this is just boys being boys. You know, this is not about individuals. This is about us together as a society. So don't get so easily agitated. If you've heard that, be mindful to that emotion and figure out why it's triggering you and have a conversation about it. So now I'm feeling like I've said something wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I, I know, but and I'm, and I'm, part of me. that's the reaction I'm having. I am in the moment yeah. going, oh my goodness, like have I just alienated somebody who's listening to this? And maybe I have. And now I have no, to ask no. myself, I'm, but no, but this is interesting. Like it's yes. happening right now. But yeah. I also feel like if I don't say the things that, and the thoughts as they occur to me, A, I can't be corrected if I am in fact stepping out into territory that I know nothing about or that I'm you know, making false statements. But I think this is what it means to talk about these things is to say them. You can't have a conversation and learn unless the things are said. 100%, I, I agree with you. Um, and there's a part of me that was thinking, geez, am I having to like protect the vulnerabilities all the time without expressing myself? Right? Like, did I need to always go back and say, yeah, but it's okay, white men, don't feel so bad. Like, and there's a, there's a frustration with that piece too. But the reason I said it was not to correct you and not to put myself down, but to live up to what we've been preaching you and I, is to be able to create space for people. And I, I'd rather have people calm and, and hearing what we're saying but, but that said, I understand the problem both you and I are expressing, but it just occurred to me that I, yeah, I wanted to just follow through with what you and I were preaching. I grew up under the expressed values for, I'm, a, I'm an only daughter, I have two brothers, of my, what I needed to do to fit into the world, the message I got consistently was to be nice. Mm. And anything that fell outside of being nice was clearly not nice. And there's something about the being nice thing that, and you'll see in a moment why I, I brought this up. It's, there's, there's an element of you have to make sure that other people are happy. You always have to make sure that you haven't made anybody angry or dislike you, but you don't do it out of a fawning and a, a lack of belief in yourself. You do it to feel safe, right? Yeah. And so but, when we're talking right now, <laughs> like even you saying a moment ago, like, you know, if you're a white man listening to this, you know, and, and part of me feels like there's a no, 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 but it's okay, everybody. You know, we're, we're nice. Like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
And yeah. so I find it interesting that 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 talking about white men has kind of activated this in both of us right now. Because yeah. I'm white and you're a man, but we don't yeah. have the white and man together. A white and man together. Yeah. <sighs> Let's bring this back to anger. There's this element of being a good minority or a good person of color that can get to be quite tiresome. And so, the role, yes, the role you play. Well, you, you always one to do the thing that you're rewarded for to be a good this or good that, and that means putting aside a lot of your feelings, and that packing away. As I said, at some point in time, you realize what you put away, and you're just tired, and you can be angry, and and yet, despite all those rather intense feelings. You have to measure yourself and count yourself, make sure. And so the awkwardness that white men might feel having heard this and me needing to calm them, there's nothing ever said to me or people like me to help mitigate our feelings. We have to do it on our own. There's a great sense of loneliness in being a person of color or a religious or ethnic minority. And you could be in a giant community. And the reason for that is because... What you're doing, everybody's doing, and nobody wants to talk about it. And I, and I think it's, it was a purpose of this podcast, and I think it's the reason why we've been getting such good feedback is because so many people of color can't have these conversations because they are so lonely. And so both of those feelings of excitement and anger show up. Right. Thank you so much for listening again. I hope these conversations are valuable to you as individuals uh, in society and organizations. We hope that you take away some of these things. And if you have taken away some things from our conversation, please share those with us. We also want to make sure that these conversations are continued. And one way to do that is to share our podcast with people that you know, encourage them to listen. And please remember to go and rate our podcast. If you believe we've had some very positive ratings of five stars, uh, please go in and uh, give us another five-star rating. If you believe that we're missing something, let us know. We'd like to talk about that. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope to tune in with you in another conversation in, in a few weeks. In a couple weeks. of weeks. There we go. Okay. Thank you, Raymond. Thank you for spending time with us. To learn more about our work and listen to other episodes, please visit differentpeople.ca. Post-production services provided by jonathanlay.net. And thanks to Blue Eye Music for our music theme. You can reach us all through the contact information in the show notes. And new episodes of the Different People podcast are uploaded regularly to Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Please join us again. And until soon. 